One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello the world! This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And uh, excuse me if I sound like I'm in a jet propulsion engine tunnel. It's really cold here, you guys. And I, yeah. so I have my heater on a little higher than normal so that I don't literally die because it's yeah. that cold in the Midwest and most of the country. Boop, boop. No, stay warm, y'all. But unless you guys want to hear all about the weather forecast for the Midwest, for the next three days, which I'm happy to do a quick rundown for you. But I don't think that's why you're here. I think you're here to hear the second part of Sadie's case from last week. Yeah, I'm sorry again to leave you all hanging. This is part two of the murder of Eva Burwood. If you haven't already listened to part one, you really should go back to episode 160 and start there. Yeah. So when we left off in part one, Adam Burwood had walked out of Pilgrim by pushing open a door on his ward that was supposed to be locked. No one noticed as he left the building and the grounds of the center. When the staff finally noticed Adam was missing, they called Eva to let her know to be on the lookout. She took the kids and stayed with friends. After two days, Eva and her new boyfriend went back to her house together to check on it. Everything seemed normal until Eva went upstairs and noticed her bedroom door was open. She always kept it closed. When she looked in her room, she found Adam, who was only wearing his underwear, asleep on her bed. Trying not to wake him, she tiptoed down the stairs, but when she tried to call police, she found the phone line had been cut. Mm. So Eva and her boyfriend managed to leave the house without waking Adam and ran to the neighbors to call the police. Oh, good. I was going to say, I would have just been like, if I was in her situation, I'd be like, unfortunately, now I have to burn my house down. I don't. I wouldn't even have looked in the bedroom. I would have just proactively burnt down my own house. Mm -hmm. It's Right. It's the only course of action. Yes. Yep. So authorities arrived before Adam woke up. Once he was awake, police said he sat calmly and explained that over the course of a few days, he had walked 30 miles to Eva's house. And had fallen asleep while waiting for her to return home. And I think in this first escape, he was gone a full 48 hours, maybe even a little longer before they found him. And it's 30 miles. First you know, he, he walked first I know, escape. You I just know, said. you guys. I'm sorry. Yes. And so, you know, walking, he walked 30 miles. 
Yeah. In two days to get to her. Yes. Insane. For some strange reason, officers didn't know what to do with Adam because Pilgrim hadn't alerted them that he had escaped. Like, apparently they're supposed Mm -hmm. to send, like, an official alert to the police when an inmate escapes and they didn't get it. And even so the police were like, I don't, what do we do? Oh, my God. Which was crazy. Police were also confused because Adam had once lived in Eva's house, so they didn't believe that he was officially trespassing. Oh, which is my some God. fucked up or like late seventies bullshit, if you ask me. Totally, totally. So for two hours, authorities went back and forth trying to figure out what to do. Adam remained calm the entire time and didn't say much of anything. Eventually, authorities decided he should be returned to Pilgrim and drove him back. <laughs> Idiot. Less than a week later, he escaped again. What the this time, fuck? I know. This time, he managed to pry chicken wire loose from a second-story bathroom window and then climbed down a rope of knotted sheet. <laughs> Once again, the center told Eva to be on the lookout, and two plainclothes detectives stayed with her at the house waiting for Adam to arrive, but this time he never showed up. Instead, the next day, he was found at Olga's elementary school, where he tried to get the staff at the school to release her to him. Chilling. Luckily, the principal said Olga was in class and he would go get her, but instead he went to his office and called authorities. After the second escape, Adam was sent back to Mid-Hudson. Once there, it was reported that Adam's personality completely changed. For Mm -hmm. seven months, he did not mention Eva or his children. He stopped mentioning any paranoid delusions he might be having, and he spent the majority of his time exercising. Mm -mm, Like Cape Fear, Cape Fear style. Mm -hmm. He eventually filed a writ to the courts explaining to them that he was no longer mentally ill and should be released. Oh my god. Because his behavior was so much better, the staff at Mid-Hudson said there was no reason to keep him there, and they felt it would be safe to transfer him back to Pilgrim, with instructions that he be eased slowly back into the community. When he arrived at Pilgrim, Adam's new doctor... Irving Blumenthal was given his file and knew his full history. There were clear instructions on the front of Adam's file printed on bright red paper telling the staff exactly what to do and who to contact if Adam escaped. There was no way Dr. Blumenthal didn't understand the risk that Adam posed to Eva. In last week's episode, we talked about the threatening letters Adam wrote to her when he was first arrested. Mm-hmm. You remember? Yep. The creepy-ass letters he wrote to his one conversation girlfriend girlfriend that he loved so much the letters caused the judge and da to write letters to mid hudson making sure they understood how dangerous he was to his Mm ex-wife and when i was first researching the story i couldn't find any articles with the exact words that he put in those letters to make them so alarming but as i did more research to finish the last details of today's episode i came across an article from march 2004 (laughs) that shed more light on the letters Mm. Quick trigger warning, the next little paragraph is pretty violent and graphic. So in one letter, Adam wrote, quote, Before I myself kill you, I will push your ribs through your lungs and back. I will cut the veins in your legs so you won't be able to stand, Mm -mm. and I will push your teeth into your brain. Mm -mm. Oh my god. That's just one paragraph. Like I don't even know how many letters he wrote to her. This is what she had to live with. Yes. And this is what the doctor knew this man had done to his wife. Right. Oh, my God. 
So despite all of Adam's seriously gruesome threats and barely knowing his new patient, Dr. Blumenthal believed it would be a good therapy for Adam to start allowing him to leave the center for a few hours at a time, unsupervised on a day pass. Unsupervised. Hmm? Unsupervised. Even after Eva's attorney contacted Dr. Blumenthal, explained the couple's history in great detail, and asked him to please let them know if Adam was allowed out of the center unsupervised for Eva's protection. The doctor would not agree, saying the day pass would be a part of Adam's therapy, and if he shared those details with others of when Adam left the center, it would be a breach of his patient confidentiality. What a egomaniac. What an egomaniac. Break surely. Oh, my God. Surely there's a way to, like, go to your supervisors and be like, here's the situation. What do we do? How do I protect my patient's confidentiality and also protect the potential victim's safety? Well, and just to think that right? you are no. so sure, you know it so, you know everything so well that there's no mm. way that this person mm-hmm. who's exhibited extreme violent and antisocial behavior mm-hmm. and has already escaped multiple times and has tried to kidnap his daughter mm-hmm. and etc etc mm-hmm. like oh no i know well enough to know that he is all better and i'm just going to do what i'm going to do and you tough shit cops i'm not going to listen to you or da or anybody mm-hmm. oh my god yep so eva would have no idea if adam was on his way to get her for the first two weeks back at pilgrim adam was the ideal patient In the nurse's chart notes, they described him as a, quote, absolute angel. He did as he was told, was helpful to those around him, and only mentioned his children a few times, saying he hoped to be able to get partial custody of them one day. During this time, Adam started asking Dr. Blumenthal for a one-hour pass so he could go buy himself a winter coat. Adam was smart enough to know Eva would only be alerted if he escaped, but not if he left with a pass. Despite the fact that Adam had only been under the care of Dr. Blumenthal for two weeks and had only met with him once to come up with a treatment plan, they never did therapy together. Not once. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He agreed to give Adam a day pass and authorized two separate outings. The following morning. Mm-mm. So he agrees to this. And then the next day, December 5th, 1979, Adam was allowed to roam the grounds of the center unsupervised. He was expected to stay on hospital property, but there was no one with him to make sure he did as he was told. And when he failed to return at 4 p.m. that afternoon, a nurse alerted Dr. Blumenthal and urged him to alert Eva's attorney and the authorities. But the doctor said, he said that those warnings didn't apply to day passes. Instead, he extended Adam's curfew to 9 p.m. and did nothing. Why is happening? Oh, my God. I know. Amazingly, I know, take a deep breath. (laughs) Amazingly, Adam returned to the center that night around 5.30 p.m. and said that he'd gone to his bank to withdraw money for his coat and it had taken longer than expected. Despite the fact that Adam had left the hospital grounds and hadn't made it back before his curfew, the very next day on December 6th, the good Dr. Blumenthal decided not to punish Adam and gave him another day pass. Shut your mouth right this very second. To make matters even worse, December 6th just so happened to be the two-year anniversary of Adam and Eva's divorce. Mm Mm-mm. 
So two of Adam's nurses were so concerned with Dr. Blumenthal's apparent lack of concern about Adam that they called his superior, Dr. Liu, and told him about the situation. Dr. Liu called Dr. Blumenthal, and after getting his side of the story, Dr. Liu was satisfied that everything was under control and did not step in to stop Adam from leaving. Ugh. You know, and I just think like if a nurse, if two nurses are willing to call a superior doctor over their superior, like take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not back then. Probably not now either, no, but not back I then. Know. Yeah. So Adam left at 10 a.m. that day and said he planned to take a bus to a nearby shopping center to buy a winter coat. He was told to be back by 4 p.m. As he walked away, no one seemed to notice that he was already wearing a perfectly nice winter coat. God. When 4, <laughs> no. when 4 p.m. rolled around and Adam hadn't made it back to Pilgrim, the nurses started to worry. But when Adam called at 4.30, explaining that he had accidentally taken the wrong train and had ended up in New York City, they felt great relief. Adam promised he was getting on the next train and would be back to the center in a few hours. His curfew was once again extended, and Eva was not notified that Adam was out alone in the community. Mother fucker. So meanwhile, at 5.30 p.m. that night... Eva was at home preparing dinner for Olga and little Adam. It was just the three of them enjoying a peaceful December night together. Eva was in a particularly good mood because she had just completed a design for a pumping station that was going to be used in the Boston subway system. Oh my god. She had been, I know, she had been the lead engineer on the project and was incredibly proud of the work she'd done. And I don't, I mean, it's just like the fact that she was a lead engineer, a woman in the 70s is such a big deal. And I read a lot of articles talking about the work she did and her, her bosses and how good she was and how after the divorce, she needed to make more money to make ends meet while she was like moving up in her career. And so she would, she took a sewing job and was an incredible sewer Mm, and she would sew through the night. I know she would sew through the night like clothes or bedding or I don't know what she did and like give those to that boss and then go to her engineering job Mm -hmm. which she also was so excellent at that she made her way as a lead engineer in charge of a group of men designing pump stations for Boston subway system like she was bad fucking ass yep she was badass she should still be alive was a good mom like it's so sad it's so fucking sad well and especially because it really does feel like ego it feels like ego like Mm -hmm. i know i'm the doctor i'm not going to be told what to do by anybody and i know and i don't i i don't know where that comes from i don't know what that is yep and like trusting this supposedly very mentally ill patient you know like who's just playing the game and you know yeah over the two women i assume women nurses that are saying hey this is not okay something is wrong here yep eva's in danger like can we please do something to help her and the doctor's like nope i got this under control you know this is a huge leap to make so forgive me but you just have to wonder if it was like a female nurse said to the doctor hey he's really dangerous he shouldn't be let out and then he just was like you're not going to tell me what to do double down triple down quadruple down mm-hmm. on it do you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there's no yeah. other explanation like this just doesn't other than just raw ego 
for him to have made that decision and stuck by it and then continued to make terrible decisions. Not even just like a transitionary period, not a supervised period, not like let's dip our toe into the water of, of mm-hmm. reintegration, just like pushed that motherfucker straight into the pool and armed him with six bags of piranhas, basically. Right. Yeah. Or like, like, let me, <gasps> how about I sit down with him first and talk about his mental illness yeah. with him and like all of it, get a feel for him on oh my, my own before oh my God. I make these decisions. I mean, it's just like the I failure. I hope there's a civil suit case. at the end of this. There better be a civil yeah. suit. If not, I'm going to take one up on my, on her behalf. Mm. Yes. I can only imagine that Eva's mind was not on Adam senior that night. And she had no idea that she was in ter- terrible mm. danger. The little family's peace was completely shattered by the sound of breaking glass coming from the basement. Mm-mm. Eva knew immediately what was happening and ran to the phone to call for help. There's no doubt she knew the gun that she'd bought for this instance was too far away, still stored safely upstairs in her bedroom side table. I'm going to vomit. That is so scary. <laughs> oh. As she picked up the phone, Adam already had a hold of her. Eva managed to call 911 before Adam pulled a large hunting knife from his coat and started stabbing the mother of his children. Oh my god. When the dispatcher answered the call, all she could hear was a man yell, Olga, get out. And then, quote, the muffled shuffles of a struggle and a woman crying, he's killing me, I'm dying. Oh, oh my god. god, oh god. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Then there was silence except for a sigh and then nothing. Still listening, the dispatcher heard as the phone was hung back on its wall cradle. Mm-hmm. There had been no time to trace the call, no time for Eva to tell the dispatcher who she was or where she lived. Tragically, no help was coming to Eva. Some of the details of her murder are unclear, like if the kids witnessed their mother's death, but it does seem like at least Olga was in the kitchen when her mother was attacked. And then at some point, she and her brother ran upstairs and hid in a bedroom until their father came to get them later. Oh my god. Adam ended up stabbing Eva 22 times. Oh my god. Including an incredibly vicious wound to her throat. Once Adam was sure Eva was dead, he went to work cleaning up the terrible mess he'd made. From the article in the Village Voice, quote, He methodically mended the broken window with boards. He cleaned the blood from the kitchen floor and washed himself. He removed some of Eva's garments and washed her too. He carried her to the front room where he laid her on a cot and folded her arms over her chest. He covered her with a coarse brown blanket and then placed a small votive candle on either side of her body. On one wall, he fashioned a cross of red ribbons. Then he commenced a dreadful wake summoning Olga and Adam, who are cowering in an upstairs bedroom. No, you are kidding me. No, I'm not. Quote, pray for mommy, he told them. Kiss mommy goodbye. Oh my god. Then he sent them back upstairs to sleep. Uh, I can't do it. No. Adam was due back to Pilgrim by 6pm the night he murdered Eva. When he didn't return, the nurses were again told to extend his curfew to nine. When he still didn't show, they finally started calling the various phone numbers in his chart to alert people that Adam was on the run. They couldn't reach Eva's lawyer, 
no one answered at Eva's house, so, quote, they sent her a mailgram, informing her in passionless terms that Mr. Burwood was off the grounds without consent. Oh, my God. No. And I read... I read that after after Eva was murdered, like the day after, the mailgram showed up. So they didn't even send a priority mail. It, it I mean, it was like so far too late. It's right. That was a formality. Like, that was them like trying to cover their asses. Yes. Like, yes. oh, we should probably let her know, but should we call her? Should we send somebody over there? No, mm. just put it in the mail. Just make sure that it shows up eventually, so that we don't get in trouble for this. Mm-hmm. Police were notified, and they went to check on Eva around 9.30 p.m. that night. They got no answer when they knocked on the door, so they checked around the house but found no sign of a break-in. Adam had already managed to fix the window by the time they arrived. With no reason to break the door down, they assumed Eva had heard that Adam was on the run and had fled to safety with her children, so they left. After Pilgrim urged police to go check again, they went back to Eva's around 11 p.m., Quote, they banged on the doors and peered in the windows. The house was dark except for a faint glow, too weak to be an incandescent bulb that appeared to come from the front room. They supposed it to be a nightlight. Once again, nothing appeared to be wrong, and it didn't seem like anyone was home, so they left again. Adam spent the night in the house with the children, listening to police try to make contact with the woman he'd already killed. When Olga and Adam woke in the morning, he tried to feed them rice with milk and fruit on top, but they refused to eat. (laughs) Over an uneaten breakfast, Adam explained that their, quote, mommy had to die because she was an evil mother. Oh my god. He then assured them that she would come back as a better person in the next... At 8.45 a.m., Adam called the district attorney's office, but no one was in yet. A police dispatcher answered the call and told Adam to call back at nine. (laughs) Calmly thanked the dispatcher and said he'd call back. When he did manage to get someone on the phone, he explained what had happened, and the DA sent detectives to the house to investigate. When they arrived, they could see Olga and Adam waving to them from the upstairs window, so they waved back. Oh my god. Adam opened the door for the police and brought them to Eva's body. He admitted to killing his wife and was arrested without incident. Investigators would later learn that after leaving Pilgrim, Adam took the Long Island Railroad from the West Brentwood Station to Manola. He got off the train on the outskirts of his old neighborhood. He then took a leisurely stroll to a nearby friendly ice cream shop near his old house and ate a hamburger and some coffee. He then dropped by the dentist's office to have his teeth cleaned. Once his teeth were nice and clean, he went to Herman's World of Sporting Goods and bought a very sturdy hunting with a five-inch blade. Once his errands were complete, he waited near Eva's home until dark and then broke in through the basement window and killed the 35-year-old mother of his children. Mm-hmm. Adam was charged with second-degree murder, and a two-year back-and-forth began to try and figure out if he was sane enough to stand trial. He would spend a few months at Mid-Hudson until the doctors there would decide he was mentally competent, and then he'd be sent back to jail. Once in jail, the doctors there would decide he belonged at Mid-Hudson, and he'd be Mm. sent back. Mm. Finally, in December of 1981, two years after Eva's murder, Adam's trial began. Not only was he eventually found sane enough to stand trial, the judge also allowed him to defend himself. 
Which oh, blows my mind. Yeah. God. <laughs> Let's do it. I know. Adam chose a non-jury trial, which would only last three days. Adam continued to insist that he killed Eva because she was abusing their children. He did it to keep them safe. It will come as no surprise when all was said and done, he was found guilty of Eva's murder. Thank God. There wasn't a whole lot of trial details. It was so short. And I think that Adam is a smart dude. He kept himself together. Like, you know, he didn't, other than just like blaming his wife for right, doing terrible things. Right, that scumbag move. Right, exactly. Yeah. Gaslighting his dead wife that he stalked and murdered over a right. very long time. Yeah. Yes. But before he could be sentenced, he had to stand trial for another crime he committed while waiting for his first trial to start. Sweet. So, Yes. On June 18th, 1980, Adam was being held in the Nassau County Jail and had a meeting with his lawyer at the time, Jack Lewis. During the meeting, Adam grabbed a ballpoint pen and stabbed Mr. Lewis in the neck. Oh, you... What is happening? Luckily, his wounds were not fatal and he survived. I found uh, Jack Lewis's obituary in the newspaper archive from the early 2000s, which mentioned the stabbing. Yeah. And it said that as the paramedics were taking Jack to the hospital, he was yelling at the police to not question his client about the stabbing of his own self. (laughs) (laughs) Which I loved so much. It's It's incredible. incredible. It's incredible. To say he took his job seriously as a public Mm -hmm. defender would be putting it lightly i, like I it. don't know jack lewis i never met the man but i love him and yep. good for you dude good like, for you bro it's yep. amazing like, don't say anything don't talk don't to the police <laughs> <laughs> that's one oh, of the best things shit. i've heard on this podcast it's <laughs> yeah, agree i'm sitting here in stunned sort of processing of what those kids had to go through in that house yes. and that that's yeah. a nice palate cleanser from that yes i horror yeah yeah yes i agree i felt the same way i did like la- very last minute i've tried to figure out if what like where adam is now and so i was like i just you know I, sometimes i get stuck on details and i really just want to find out one more piece of information Totally. So I was just like searching, 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 and I came across this obituary. And I was like, okay, this is why I was like, I was propelled to continue because this is so good. It's so good. <laughs> um, it's I so hope good. if Jack Lewis's family ever listens to this podcast, like good for him. That hip, is hip, amazing. hooray. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's just one in 20 billion stories about that man that are. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Yes. The write up for him in the newspaper after he died was just like how amazing he was in general. But like, yeah, yeah, that he really, really took his job as a public defender super seriously and was really good at it. Ugh, God and then got stabbed defenders. by fucking Adam Burwood. Yeah. Mm. So Adam was charged with attempted murder, but those charges were eventually lessened to aggravated assault. Adam would later say he stabbed his lawyer because, quote, he represented the devil, which I mean... Isn't entirely not true, right? <laughs> kind of did. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. That is some self-deprecating behavior if I've ever heard of it. Right. Like, he, wow. Yes. Yeah. He added, quote, I must kill any devil. Kill your own damn self then. You are the, <sighs> know, you are the one right? that you are referring to. Kill yes. your own self. Yes. Yes. If that's, if that's your lot in life, if that's your mission... Mm-hmm. So Adam was mad at Jack Lewis because he planned to use Adam's mental health as the reason why he killed Eva. 
but Adam insisted he was not mentally ill and wanted him to say he killed Eva. She abused their kid. Yep. After a one-day non-jury trial, Adam was found guilty of those charges as well and was sentenced to a total of 35 years to life, 25 years for Eva's murder, and five years each on two separate assault counts. Yep. After Eva's murder, public shock and outrage spread through the country as the circumstances surrounding her death came out. No one could believe Adam had been allowed to leave Pilgrim with no concern for the safety of Eva or her children. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be half dead to not understand how fucking crazy and awful this case is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and the the murder of Eva is absolutely horrendous and 1000% preventable. But um, I mean, honestly, thinking about what those kids had to endure in that 24 hours is like, you don't come back from that. But I mean, that is the shit that alters generations of people you know it's so traumatizing yes it's so awful it's like i've i rarely has my heart gone out more and again you know i i know that this happens in a lot of the cases most of the cases that we cover like this is what people experience but then to just like really have to think about it and hear it and know details of it is it really like drives it home but that is so sadistic it's so Mm -hmm. sad and i Mm -hmm. yeah yep yep and to have two kids they basically the ages of olga and adam at the time is just like yep i mean in that way it just really drives it home even more like how aware and attached yeah they are to me how important their dad is to them yep you know, I just can't, I can't imagine. No. I can't not imagine. No. Nope. No. <laughs> I, like, I really don't have any words. It's like, I, uh, I just mm. keep hitting these walls of horror. Like, the mm. the trust, the, the trauma, the fear, the fucking, just the eerie, creepy awfulness. You know, it's one thing to, like, walk into a room and shoot your mom in front of you. Horrible. That is a horrible mm. ta- mm-hmm. thing to have to come back from. But then this sort of sustained posing of the body the wake the Mm -hmm. like have your cereal kids and they're like we're not hungry Mm -hmm. you know like just imagining them up all night knowing their mother is in the house i don't know i can't falling asleep and waking up hoping it was a dream or oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) yeah no i can't so within a few days, Pilgrim announced that they would launch a full-scale investigation into what happened to find out who was responsible. I don't know if it was Pilgrim. I think it was probably the state of yeah. New York. The Let's mental hope. health. God. Yeah. But either way, probably both. Uh, they would launch a full-scale investigation into what happened to find out who was responsible and what they could do to keep something similar from happening again in the future. It was reported that Dr. Lou was overcome with remorse after Eva's murder and was hospitalized soon after with heart problems. On the other hand, Dr. Blumenthal continued to deny any fault or wrongdoing. Oh, wow, what a shock. What a surprise. Right? Right? And said he did what he should have done to protect his patient's confidentiality, which was his highest priority as a doctor. But I'm pretty sure that, I mean, maybe things have changed. I don't know when, like, uh, mandated reporters became a thing. But, like, I I know when you sit down with a therapist, 
Yes. They are like, I will keep everything confidential unless I think you're going to hurt yourself or someone else. Yep. If I have serious reason to believe those two things are true, I have to report it. Yep. Right? Yeah. So it's like, where does this come in in this case? Yep. Or Eva? And again, maybe I didn't, I didn't look it up and maybe that wasn't a thing yet, but it just seems like this wasn't so far in the future or the past that right. we wouldn't understand that you have to mandate certain shit. You have to tell exactly people if they're in danger. A debate started within the psychiatry world about the proper way to handle potentially dangerous and violent people. Most came out in support of the two doctors saying, quote, psychiatry is an art, not a science. We cannot tell you when a patient will kill. But it's like, give me a fucking break. It's not yeah. about like, we need you to be able to see into the future. It's just taking small steps yes, to protect other people. Like they did it before. He escaped twice and they managed to keep her and her children safe. Yep. Like all well, it took was to alert her and say, hey, heads up, this is coming. Yeah. And then yeah. she, she was able to get out of the way. That's all. That's all that anybody needed to do for her. Fucking it, didn't. No. And there's a big difference. Like, I I am very, we talk about that all the time. Like, how would you have known? How would you have known? You know, the case with the boy who killed his mother that you covered, like, last week. There were not super clear signs in that case. You know, you're doing the best you can as a parent, as a teacher. You know, people in the community after Mm -hmm. the fact were like, oh, I wish I would have taken that more seriously. But he wasn't writing these graphically violent, threatening letters and, like, actively trying to escape, you know? (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. that 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 does not come into play in this instance, guys. Like, this, that, it was clear. It was fucking clear that this guy was a problem and was continuing to try to be a problem. It wasn't, yeah, this was not a murky case, in my opinion. No, not at all. Not at all. A grand jury was convened to decide if Blumenthal and Lou should have criminal charges brought against them for Eva's murder, but they found no criminal wrongdoing. Mm. God. The Pilgrim Center suspended both doctors for their actions after the New York State Mental Health Department charged them both with incompetency. Mm-hmm. The charges and suspensions were later dropped by the state. It's unclear if these men continued to work after the suspension was dropped. Yeah. So it was just sort of like I found I would find little blurbs of articles like when they were suspended. That was sort of big news. And then when they appealed the decision, I think Dr. Blumenthal appealed the decision and it kind of went back and forth in the courts. And eventually they were like, fine, you don't have to be suspended anymore. So... Luckily, Dr. Blumenthal at this time was like 70 years old anyway. So I'm hoping that maybe by the time it got figured out, he was too old to work anyway. And who the fuck knows? Probably not. Guys like that, like that's Mm -hmm. his whole thing. You know, he just loves Mm -hmm. being, playing that God part, just loves being the God of everybody. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure he made more decisions right up until his dying day. Right. If this sort of thing doesn't make you pause and reflect on yourself, like absolutely nothing will ever make you stop thinking that you're the best. Exactly right. Yes. Unfortunately. So just two months after Eva's murder, the New York State Mental Health Department issued a new policy requiring that the release of patients hospitalized in criminal cases be approved by a panel, including a psychiatrist from an outside institution. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) Right? I know. And that a 48 hours notice be given to the local district attorney, judge, and patient's family, and any potential victims. Uh-huh. It's as simple as that. Like, yeah. But then I was, when I read that, I was like, well, what, what about, you know, like, I know when he was initially arrested, 
for the what's it called the um protective order being that's why initially he was put into jail because he kept violating right. the protective order yeah and then he started threatening eva and he threatened her in front of the judge and so that caused him to then go to mid hudson right as soon as he was transferred though it said that his criminal charges were dropped and so like mm-hmm. wh- was he technically a criminal you know ho- hospitalized as a criminal patient or whatever like that yeah the criminal case like when so when does that loophole come into effect would this be for him in this yep. case you know just yep. a lot of questions and it's a step in the right direction but i'm not sure if it's enough or not interpol for police and also mental health it right. do, just yes. just make it just make it simple as that yes. i know that that's yeah. easy just kidding i know it's extremely like <laughs> impossible no. basically but let's just figure it out i think that we owe ourselves this in the year of our lord 2022 to make a big fat system like facebook if you will let's just call it, let's just call it help help book and right. it's a way for people to communicate with each other about anything really we could do it between hospitals that would be cute <laughs> hospitals were able to communicate with each other what a weird yeah. what a concept what right? a concept yeah we could just get in there and find out what's going on with somebody right oh well i God. hear that like you know people with in other countries with universal health care actually have a system like that which is one system and everybody logs into the same system and reads all the same information. No, and, that's impossible. Right? Like that keeps, I know it keeps coming up in our Munchausen stories. Like uh, here, that wouldn't happen. You know, like switching mm-hmm. doctor doctors and like making up new stories that wouldn't happen in places like Canada and the UK that have universal health systems that the doctors all read the same information and know exactly what's happened to you in the past. Like, can we do the same for mental health patients no. and everybody here in America? No. Too, it's impossible. Nobody has ever figured out how to do it. <laughs> exactly. Forget about it. Oh, they just invented yep. a, a artificial intelligence chatbot that can like literally do anything. Uh-huh. Yes. But we can't communicate with each other about vital information. Mm-hmm. Right. About how to keep yourself safe from a person who wants to murder you. Yep. But as for Olga and little Adam, who were seven and four at the time Eva was killed... They were initially put into the care of a social worker. And then it was reported that they were, quote, living with a couple which had promised to raise them. In order to protect the children, the name of the couple was kept a secret. In June of 1980, six months after losing their mom, a friend who saw the children often was asked by reporters how they were doing. The friend said, quote, they are not doing well. Yeah, yes, good. I'm glad she was honest about that. Yes. (sighs) <sighs> they would later, I know, they would later be awarded $600,000 in damages in a suit against New York State. Oh my God. There is no amount of money to make this better, but it should have been $600 million Billions per trillions, child. Endless, uh, just come on, uh, just come on and get the money whenever you need the money. It yes. is endless money. Yes. Because you're going to need a lot of, of fucking help. We will help. put you in a mansion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your mansion. Here's your... <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. You are now the king and queen of New York State. We are so sorry. Yep. We'll never want for anything ever again. No. I did look to see if I could find Olga and Adam, who are now 50 and 47 years old. Wow, they're so young. it looks like Olga... Oh, my God. They're so young. They're our age. Yeah. 
It looks like Olga went to went on to get her PhD in psychology. I can't do it. No, which is gonna one hundred percent make me cry. Same. She's considered an expert in developmental neuro and cognitive psychology, so she went into children's psychology. Mm -mm. She also specializes in attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder and exercise cognition interaction. So she's studying how exercise improves mental health, especially in ADHD children. She got her mom's big ass brain. Good for you. That's amazing. I know. She's also a professor of psychology in New York state. And I didn't, I really didn't want to like, I only I'm going to say things that I saw publicly available, right? Like, I don't want to invade their privacy, but she had a Pinterest Pinterest page. And I was like, oh my God, Olga, if you you ever, I hope you don't listen to this because you do not need to relive that trauma, but like, you are just the best. Granny square, like crochet patterns and amazing design ideas and like everything. Her mom, it makes me so sad, but like her mom would be so proud of her and... I just, you know, I can't imagine. It's just too sad. I'm so sorry for them. Yep. Oh, and good for Olga. So much. I'm not talking because I'm crying. I know. So Adam lives in California and I couldn't really find anything about him that was publicly available, which is obviously just fine. Yep. I truly hope that they are both doing well and living happy lives. Adam Sr. is 86 years old. I could find no record of where he is or if he's still in custody. But at at this point, it doesn't really matter, right? Old. The end of his life is coming. And that, my dear listeners, is the very sad murder of Eva Berwin. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I hate that shit. I hate it. I mean... So much. You know, maybe there's a world in which she would have been okay. I don't, it doesn't seem, you know, it seems like he would have just hunted her to the end of his days, unless they put him in a proper prison for a very long time. But, you know, the unfortunate thing about stalking and violence is that they can't really do anything about it until it's already done. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're that right, smart, you didn't commit any cunning, crimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't commit enough, any uh, big enough crimes to, justify keeping him locked away forever exactly and so that was going to be the crime always probably that put him away because he was smart enough to not do anything bad Mm -hmm. enough to get put away for a very long time to protect her so i do in that sense have sympathy or at least understand you know the thought process of and they tried like you said in the first episode the da local police like, they were actively, it seems like, trying to protect her. They understood that this was a serious threat for once in the Absolutely. history of stalking of women in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, like, the, the hospital, the nurses understood. I, I think yep. I really just came down to this one doctor yep. in this, you know, like, I think, like you said, it's eventually, it was eventually probably going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. But even in with, like, the Pilgrim Center didn't just completely right. abandon her. Right. <laughs> one doctor made a decision. Yep. That ultimately cost Eva her life. Oh my God. Yeah. And what do you do if you're Eva? Like, what do you do? Do you just go to the Bahamas? Like, what, you know, just run forever and just hope or kill him? You know, I mean, that would be her only Mm -hmm. other recourse would be to like 
murder the father of her children to keep him from her. But then she goes to prison forever and then they have no parents regardless. You know, it's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Did you see that comment from one of our listeners on uh, Instagram about instituting a trigger warning for people who lived through world wars? No. Yeah, she, I mean, she just, it's the nicest comment, but she was like, her, her, she's from Poland and appreciated our appreciation of Polish women, which I will extend again to this episode. Polish women are the fucking best and baddest. But just saying, you know, there should be just because it, it's just it's just the, the intensity of what people experienced in that generation is, you know, it's unfathomable. And it creates people like Adam created yes. so much awfulness and just to be like trigger warning for abuses that occurred during a world war. Because it's like, you know, it's just like stuff beyond our comprehension. Right. And then like the, the that extended into all these other generations and continues to do so. You know? Yep. Yeah. Big time. Yep. Yep. And as we get further away from that time, you know, like our grandparents were, our, we, they, our grandpa was in World War II, like, yeah. You know, but they are now both gone and there aren't going to be many, if there are really, you know, there's very few survivors of that world, that war left and right. just getting further and further away from that history and understanding the generational trauma and, yep. The, even though the people are gone, the trauma remains. And yep. And we're creating new trauma constantly with new wars. And yep. I mm. uh, I had an intake with a. I'm trying to get a new doctor to manage my ADHD. Speaking of which, and I had an intake with her yesterday, or with like a nurse yesterday. Whoop, over the like telehealth, and she was like, "How would you describe your childhood?" And I didn't want to. You know, I wanted to be honest but it's a hard thing to like it was a good childhood but it was also challenging right so what do you say (laughs) you know and and a lot I know now it was challenging because of neurodivergence so I I just sort of paused for a minute I was like um independent (laughs) she laughed so hard and she's like she's like yeah that's it isn't it that's the word (laughs) she's like She's like, I've heard that described a lot of ways, but that's the word. And I was like, yeah, I'm basically Gen X, so independent. She's like, 100%. It's like, (laughs) we were very loved. Our generation was loved. Our parents loved us. I have no doubt about that. All my friends, my parents, my, my, you know, we were a loved generation. But we were a very independent generation because our parents were doing the best they fucking could, having been raised by the generation that went through what they went through. And so it's really yeah. remarkable. It's really remarkable how quickly that shift has occurred. And like millennial mm-hmm. parenting has, you know, made a massive, a massive shift into gentle parenting and all these things. But it's like, I feel very lucky that I, I was raised, you know, independently versus just straight up fucking traumatized like the generations before us, you know? Right. Yeah. Not that trauma doesn't, come from that you know either but Mm -hmm. it's just different (laughs) it's just different right yeah yes yep yeah um i don't know it's one of those cases that i was happy to come upon and learn about and really sad that that happened yeah it's a lot to unpack it's a lot to think about but it's a really good um it's a good reminder of 
us taking responsibility for our actions and like slowing down and thinking about the ramifications of the things that we do as human beings, you know, and like, and I really do think that guy probably just thought like, Oh, just, I'm just doing my job and this is by the book and this is what the book says. So I'm just going to do what I, you know, what I'm trained to do. And you know, whether or not he was just like a horrible person, um, that shit matters, you know, mm. <sighs> We just don't really understand how much we affect each other. And like, right. you know, at a minimum, like we can just really fuck up each other's days or weeks or months, but at a maximum. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That shit yep. has an impact. Well, and he took a responsibility when he took that job. Yes. And yep. didn't take that responsibility as seriously as he should have. Yeah, I you think know, like in any other case, I would be like, oh, well, you, you know, like, like you were saying, like, we, oh, you wouldn't think for real that somebody would go out and kill like that wouldn't really happen. But when you li- when you are a psychiatrist in a mental institution dealing with potentially violent people, then it is a reality. It yeah. is something you have to consider. There isn't an excuse to not consider it when it's very clear, you know, like that's yeah. that's the biggest difference here is that he had the information he needed to make good decisions and he chose not to. And that is not OK. Yeah. Well, I also think about, you know, we were talking about this in the last episode too, like ultimately we're putting human beings in charge of other human beings, in charge of dangerous and like Mm -hmm. terrifying and out of control human beings. Right. And so we, as a society a long time ago, we're like, well, this is just how it's going to have to work. Right. You're going to have to be in charge of these things. And so that requires an enormous amount of like compartmentalization and disassociation as the person Mm -hmm. who is in that role. And I think that for a billion different reasons and somebody much smarter than me could speak to this, you know, with actual statistics, but you know, now we have the age of social media and everything's online and we're getting more dissociated from each other and thinking of each other less and less as human beings. But I think that there that that comes into play a lot in a case like this where you have to compartmentalize because your job is so huge, right? Your responsibility mm-hmm. is probably more than a human being should have should take on, but somebody has to do it, right? And the same would go for police, judges, lawyers, you know, there's doctors, like there's a lot of there's a lot of professions that require a person to separate that part of their brain somehow or their personality right and so then you get these extreme cases like this guy who separates a little too fucking far and people die yep 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 well that's all i gotta say about it i know i really (laughs) (laughs) there's so much to say and i just don't know how to say it i don't feel like i'm smart enough to say it but yeah that's a really it's a really good one and I, I just feel like we're, I've said this before, it's just a precarious, it's hard to be a, a people. It's hard out here, man. It's you're just mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. stepping over landmines day in and day out, hoping for the best. And most of us, mm-hmm. I think, do okay. You know, we do pretty okay. We, we manage, we find joy, we find peace, we find, you know, various ways to be happy or just survive. And mm-hmm. it's hard. <laughs> it's it is hard. Yesterday, my oldest, who's eight, a very responsible eight-year-old, he has been wanting to walk our one of our dogs by himself. And our dogs are humongous. They're both yeah. doodles. They're big. They are energetic. Yeah. Um, B B is such a sweetheart. She's five years old, but she's a Bernadoodle, and she is insane. Yeah. 
uh, but I do trust her. And I think, you know, I was like, okay, we decided it would be safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I, the agreement was that he could walk back and forth, like on the road where I could still see him right. down to uh, the end of the road near neighbors who I trust. And like, uh, and I figured like worst case scenario, I could call my neighbor and be like, Hey, can you see for, or can you see my kiddo out there anywhere? And she'd help me. Uh, so he goes down and comes back and gives me the thumbs up that everything's fine. So I, he goes down again and then does not come back for a while. Uh-huh. And I am like, okay, he's been abducted. Uh-huh. I hear, I can hear B barking. And I was like, shit, he has been abducted. And then I look out, like I'm getting ready to put my shoes on and go find him. And I see him coming back. And he tells me that he bumped into our neighbors uh, who have a kid similar to his age. And they stopped and t- talked or whatever. And then he came home. And so I texted my neighbor. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Tell, it was her husband that, that my kid had bumped into. And I was like, tell Steve that thank you for not abducting my kid. And uh, we were laughing about it. Like, you know, of course, that's where my mind went. But instead, he just bumped into our very friendly, nice neighbors who mm-hmm. checked in with him and made sure he was okay and then sent him home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, thankfully, that's the case. But unfortunately, when you, especially when you're living in the world of true crime like we do. Yep. You, know, you just assume that the worst has finally happened. We just okay. know too much. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And it's simultaneously helpful and not helpful. I think more helpful than not. I think it's, I, we talked about this recently, but it's given me so much more insight and it slowed me down and it slowed down my opinions and judgments. And I still talk shit in small circles, but only about bullies. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's super complex, but I would yeah. still con- I would still say, even with all we know, the vast majority of people are good, have good intentions, and want the best for each other. Mm. We just want to vilify. We want you know we want to make some people perfect and some people imperfect, and then it just it's just not true. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. You, it's it's just not. It's so complex and it's so it's nuanced and it's layered and. Yeah, nobody's fully good and nobody's fully bad. Period. Yep. Period. Period. What do we do with that? I don't know. I would love I to know. I don't know either. Listen, I, it's it's too cold for my children to get out of the house today. And uh, so they've been like, I don't know, <laughs> keeping them quiet somehow yeah. in some other part of the house, freezing to death. So we should wrap it up. Yeah. Wrap it up. Yep. Yep. We have to do another episode. We're front-loading these so that we get them. <laughs> for Christmas. Yep. For Christmas. But, yeah, we got to we gotta move on. So, and also, I did so many name times last time. And this is, we're recording this early, so we don't have quite as many name times. And we'll get to names. We'll get to Patreon. We'll get to all that next time after the holidays. Yep. We hope you all had wonderful holidays. And we love you so much. And if you want to come spend more time with us over the holidays, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at They Will Kill. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com. And you can email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us. And please go do that if you please, can. Please. Yeah, it would be fucking cool as hell. We would love yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, AJ Bergantz, for the music you so beautifully wrote for us. We love it so much. We love you, and we love you, and thank you so much. Uh, And remember... I mean, yeah, just be gentle. Be gentle with each other. Mm -hmm. Ask questions. Approach people with curiosity. And get the fuck off the internet. 
when it comes to relationships. <laughs> Don't have them on the internet. That's a terrible no, place never. to be a person. It's a terrible place to be a person. It's a wonderful place to find information. It's a terrible place yeah. to be a person actively. Get out of there. Right. Yes, do it. We right. love we'll you. We'll see you real soon. I, will we see them in, again before the new year? No. Nope. Yes? No. Maybe. I don't no. know how dates work, but uh, let, me see. Lo- let me look real quick. No, like we, we will should. not. If not. Happy New Year. No, we will not. Okay, Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2023. Set your intentions, etc. We love you. Goodbye. That's right. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.